Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Dork Web Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Locchiato, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Evan Rakowski. Hey, hey, ho, ho. Boo! Boo, indeed. And I'm also joined by Mr. Steve Michaels of the Social Science Fiction Podcast. Hello there. Hello, indeed. So, we are here for the third annual Spooktacular, and boy, am I happy that it's an annual thing, uh, because this is the best time to host a podcast when you're doing Halloween stuff. Uh, So today, our theme, and really for this season, our theme is H.P. Lovecraft. Not the man, um, but kind of like the sum of the work. So we're really going to be talking about things that are Lovecraftian in nature, and that will be our horror trope that we'll be using. But before we get started with that, Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and where listeners can find you? Yeah, well, I'm Steve Michaels. I am a nerdy guy and also a political scientist. So I host the podcast Social Science Fiction, where I talk about the politics of nerd stuff. Um, So I talk about nerd fiction, sci-fi, fantasy, and how politics relates to it. So I talk about how Buffy the Vampire Slayer is anti-Ayn Rand. Uh, I talk about how Captain Picard and Spider-Man reflect different theories of international relations. I just talk about weird politics and sci-fi stuff. Hell yeah. So I think what's going to lead us off with our conversation for H3 Lovecraft, the third spooktacular, uh, is going to be a new... TV series uh, based on a book that is Lovecraft Country. Uh, so I, I, I know that all three of us, we've all seen Lovecraft Country, at least pieces, if not all, of Lovecraft Country. So without further ado, we're going to sound the spoiler horn and talk about Lovecraft Country. Prepare your ears. <laughs> Kind of just to catch folks up to speed, Lovecraft Country um, takes place kind of immediately after the Korean War, follows the main character Atticus, who receives a letter from his father uh, saying that he needs help. But the kind of catch here is that he's in this titular Lovecraft Country. Um, Basically, it is black people versus H.P. Lovecraft monsters, but it carves out its own content within the mythos. Because there's a story in this show for just about any kind of trope or genre that you can find within the greater Cthulhu mythos. So there are ghost stories, there are monster stories, uh, and all sorts of different things to be said. And I was just wondering what, you know, your guys' initial thoughts were on the series. Yeah, so I have not finished it yet. I'll just say the the first two episodes, they're kind of their own arc. Like, I, I mean... We, we can talk about this a little bit. It's kind of it's it's almost an anthology type thing. It's the same characters, but it, it's and there's common themes and characters running throughout. But it is kind of separate stories to some degree. And so the first two episodes that are kind of that initial story, I absolutely loved. Um, great story, oh, and of, of course th- this this I think the first two episodes more than any of the others I've seen so far 
really capture the whole the the police and the white people are way scarier than any of the monsters all of that is great in very lovecraftian with that there's weird magics and powers in the universe that we don't understand so i loved those first two episodes um i was i was sad that atticus's uncle uncle george gets gets killed but the first two episodes were great for me and then i started to go a little lukewarm on it the the next one up is the their next couple next couple episodes up are the haunted house episodes and i guess for me it was it was moving away from the traditional Lovecraft stuff, and I just didn't, I, I wasn't as into it. It's less cosmic horror and more just traditional haunted house. It, it did, for some reason, it didn't do it for me like the first couple episodes did. Sure, sure. Evan, co-host? Um, I'm really, really into actually the same boat as Steve, and that I thought it had a very strong kind of like first, maybe first and a half act um, of like the whole thing of like what was it nine ten episodes yeah well like half of those i I really like the other were just kind of background episodes that don't really do it for me like like steve said it's the cosmic horror and the more lovecraftian stuff is what i started watching the show for um but then once it kind of started doing plot that wasn't really involved with like the braithwaite family or atticus's bloodline um it just didn't really do it for me. Although some of the stuff with uh, Hippolyta was fun. Uh, like, spoiler alert, when she becomes a fourth dimensional being and ascends. Uh, that, that, was a, that was a fun little time. Yeah, I remember you told me uh, a bit earlier that it, you were reading or listening to the audiobook for the, for the story. And you were telling me as, as you read it that this was very different from the, uh, the, the show itself. And I guess that's kind of also where I lost interest. It's like, as as I know people think it's boring, for it's like, oh, you know, the if the story and the show are the same because they do the same stuff. But it's like, yeah, sometimes you just want to see like the visual representation of that. Yeah, um, you know, I I liked Lovecraft Country, and you know, kind of looking at it as a whole, there were parts that weren't immediately. Uh, I guess, like, within the Cthulhu mythos and, like, all that sort of stuff. But I'd make the argument that, like, there is some kind of element of, like, a loss of control and horror and existential dread to, like, knowing you live in a house, you know, with ghosts or, um, you know, your kind of way that you came about that house and the whole situation was preordained and, like, controlled by you. The real estate agent was working for the Braithwaite family and, like, all that sort of stuff. But... Um, you know, there are other episodes like the one with Hippolyta that kind of go like way off the rails, um, from the stuff that was in the book because like the haunted house stuff and like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde stuff was in the book, but yeah, she becomes like a cosmic being and sees all these different lives and, uh, you know, is like a gladiator. Yeah. A oh, gladiator. She, she's like a warrior queen. A like warrior. A, uh, yeah. A warrior queen. A, a space princess. Yeah. And, like, that's that's interesting. I think those elements are there really to give it some kind of, like, life beyond the first season because the book ends pretty closed. Like, it's a nice closed circle ending. Uh, the villain is defeated. The cast remains intact for the most part. 
um, and you know, good triumphs over evil, and it's nice and clean, and everyone wins. But obviously, which is very unLovecraftian, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they they definitely changed that. And Steve, for you, you haven't seen the end of the show. It turns out that pretty much everything that had been happening was um, kind of prophesized because Atticus goes through this essentially like parallel universe time machine type portal thing that takes two episodes worth of content to explain but um he sees that his son wrote a book his future son wrote a book called lovecraft called lovecraft country that's a nod to the actual book because like Ah. all the details in it are kind of representative to the actual book um and you know after reading it he kind of sees most of what's been happening and uh kind of knows that he's going to die at the end which he more or less willingly does uh to save everybody at the end and is part of this ritual that uh ends up backfiring on on the braithwites but the braithwite okay so i how about them killers eh so that uh, that's that's interesting i guess i um yeah, so I, I definitely checked out before we got into this this time travel element. Speaking about the, the Braithwites and how, yeah, they kind of run throughout the book, and you talk about how it's it, it, it keeps that element of, you know, it's outside the character's control. But for me, I guess knowing that so much of this hinges on the Braith, Braithwites also kind of detracts from the Lovecraft element because it makes it too human. Like, I guess it seems like so much of the plot revolves around human beings doing human things like it seems like it's this uh the the woman um like the magic woman uh it seems like it's all about her quest for power and that's just again it's not very lovecraft like it's these are motivations i can understand i can understand why someone would want to seek magical powers it's the magic woman yeah it's (laughs) it's the it's you know, I want to get beyond that to the like the real Lovecraft stuff. Like there is there are entities out there that we can't comprehend. Their motivations are entirely alien to us. Like I guess so far from what I've seen of Lovecraft Country and from what I've heard, it doesn't seem like I'm get I'm not getting that vibe that there's anything kind of totally outside of human understanding. It's all very human, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's magic is kind of like the the thing that that is not understood. Um there isn't really any involvement from cosmic entities or anything like that. Um, it's just kind of like, hey, magic. Ooh. Yeah. Which is fine. I love yeah. I love those stories. But I think what I what what always drew me to Lovecraftian fiction was that alien element. The idea that we are a a small tiny part of the universe, and if there are other beings out there, they would they would likely be so alien to us that we wouldn't our, our brains would break if we tried to understand what is really out there and what other beings are doing and and thinking i like that element of lovecraft totally absolutely yeah i mean the show kind of sets up for some weird shit um <laughs> you know between like the machine that's both a time machine and a parallel universe portal um and then, like, the cosmic entities that are talking to Hippolyta, um, which you only really catch a glimpse of 
and it's like this like nebulous formation of like a nebula but like also a woman in a dress and very interesting almost like a constellation or like cosmic dust that like took a form for a second to talk to her but um a cosmic entity yes humanoid entity but um yeah and it was like oh like i offer you all these great things just like come with me and she was like, nah, I gotta go do this other thing. But I was totally like, that, okay, like, that's not the deal that you take if something from space offers you, like, every worldly pleasure that you know. You never take that deal. Um, but yeah, it, it it certainly leaves things open for, I guess, maybe exploring the more sci-fi side of of that Lovecraftian lore. Right. Yeah. Do you, yeah, do you, do you know, have they announced, are they doing another season? Are they going to go beyond the book and explore other ideas in this? There's nothing concrete yet. I think, um, I think that the showrunners are, are still talking to HBO, you know, now that things just kind of wrapped up, but it was really popular. I kind of feel like that's the direction. And I watched it. I liked it. Um, I, Tune in for a season two. Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't bad. And I'd be curious to see more. Also, what? <laughs> sorry to interrupt, Steve, but uh, I guess I'll say Venom D. Or Venom Diana, I guess I'll say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the little girl. She gets, like, a robot arm and, like, a pet wild beast and then kills someone. Yeah, and it's, like, it's almost like a, like a very crude 40K orc power claw she has. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, 60s technology to make somebody like a limb crushing arm yeah like, like a power arm enough to kill someone by sheer crushing force yeah and uh man d that <laughs> was a real shock at the end yeah but i guess the other big twist that happens in the end is you know the the braithwaites and you know for steve's benefit and conversation the 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 braithwaite woman christina her main goal is to become immortal, at, you know, as it is always. Relatable. And uh, mm-hmm. to do this, she's doing a spell where she needs to sacrifice Atticus. So the kind of big twist is they let that happen so that they can use the spell's energy from what she cast to turn that spell into something else. Um, and Letitia comes in and, you know, kind of like, interrupts the spell causes chaos and then makes the changes that needed to but what ends up happening is uh magic becomes something that's only for black people so i can't imagine that they would like write that into the show and then not prepare to have a second season to explore yeah the the implications of that okay yeah that's that's an interesting twist at the end and i and i i know other others have said this but i gotta say i just i love the idea that i mean lovecraft fiction is great lovecraft was a great writer but he was also a vicious racist and, oh, yes. I, and I just get the kick i get a kick out of the idea that that now like, like a, word, yeah. a hundred or so years later his his stuff is being used in a story to talk about about segregation in the civil rights movement and make black characters the heroes yes. of the story i just i just love the idea that he is he is so pissed in his grave thinking that this is the use to which his stories are being put. So I enjoyed that element of it too. Totally. Well, all right. 
we're going to change gears and we're just going to have a fun conversation slash argument about what our top picks would be for first video games and we're talking about if we all had to argue right here and right now for the best Lovecraftian video game what is that Evan well um I will be picking Bloodborne which is something I thought you'd pick, but I guess you're not picking it. I love Bloodborne, but I've got an ace up my sleeve. Defend your choice. I will defend my choice. So the reason why I picked it for Lovecraft for a good Lovecraftian game is because that theme is not immediately uh, apparent from the start. And that's what really kind of makes it great is that it comes out of left field and just hits you in the face. Because you start off, you know, fighting, you know, werewolves and other traditional Victorian horror monsters but then something takes a really strange turn and you kind of learn the dark truth of the universe. And then you start seeing giant monsters on buildings because you know too much. And uh, yeah, cosmic horror, alien blood, curses, it's got all that. Tell us about the curses. Well, it all kind of, lore-wise, it all kind of starts out with the uh, the healing church discovering uh, Eberitus daughter of the cosmos underneath uh this labyrinth over a weird magic school called bergenworth um but yeah she teaches humans about i think it's like the magic of blood administration where you take you know god juice alien blood and uh just kind of shoot it up just shoot it up and use it to cure what ails you and you know, it works for a time, and that's why they established the healing church with, like, the, the sacred rites of, you know, pure individual blood saints, they called them. Uh, people with, like, really good blood because they took care of themselves, I guess. Uh, to, you know, use their blood in these rituals because they had the holy blood in them given by the old ones. But um, things went wrong, and people started turning into werewolves and other horrible monsters. And... Uh, yeah, just a cautionary tale of not shooting up god juice. Interesting. How did the um, the elder things come into play in the game? And, of course, I know this, but uh, go ahead and titulate a seven. Um, very few you actually meet in the flesh because some of them are dead, but also dead in Lovecraftian sense because of, you know, the whole thing and, like, oh, in Ryla, dead Cthulhu waits dreaming because life and death don't really have any... That is not dead, which can eternal lie. Yeah. True. True words. And some are just kind of nightmarish entities. Not really in the sense that we can understand, kind of just like a... like a force of raw emotion or madness that's powerful enough to create its own universe. There's a lot of that, a lot of, a lot of dreams and dreams within dreams. And blood administration? And blood administration. Madness, cosmic entities, it's got all that. All right. Steve. So I, 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 so I have a weird choice, and, and I realize this, this doesn't fit in Lovecraft. In, this doesn't fit as a Lovecraft game in terms of the aesthetics or the just the, the story content but but just bear bear with me sure i think the 
the most Lovecraftian experience I've ever played while playing a video game is Metal Gear Solid 2. And specific, specifically, the so if you played Metal Gear Solid 2, you know, uh, Raiden, you're on the, the like oil platform out in the sea and so on. And it's all standard, you know, um, standard Metal Gear solid gameplay, sneak around, you choke guys out. Cheeky you, jokes. Yeah, we, yeah, weird Kojima style humor where it's 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 got that that same vibe as like the old tv show mash where like one minute it's oh the horrors of war and the next minute it's weird goofy humor it's all <laughs> over the place it all all very metal metal gear solid fine but I, i'm thinking specifically the the part where you know riding gets uh riding gets taken it gets uh captured by um uh by solidus snake uh tortured and everything and then he ends up running around briefly naked while his the his support team calls him in on the radio saying weird things and just that part gave me such Lovecraft vibes just in terms of all of a sudden the whole game you're the badass super soldier knocking guys out and something and stuff and then all of a sudden it's you lose all your power you have no weapons you can't defend yourself at all you're you're just naked you're exposed to the elements you have no idea what's going on, and all of a sudden you're getting these weird messages from your team talking about space worms and scissors <laughs> and shit, and it it's so weird. And you really like the first. I I think this this came out when I was either in middle school or early high school, and the first time playing it, I really was terrified. Like playing it, <laughs> like at it, like at night in the middle, um, just dark, and it was. It, it really did weird me out. I'm like, like I really was thinking, like, what the hell is going on? And that for me. Is really what like Lovecraft is is about, like just confronting this un this unknown and to the point where you feel like you're going mad and you have no control over your life, over your existence. Like that vibe is evoked in that game at that part for me more than anything else, and I think it works so well because up to that point, again, it is just standard video game power fantasy. You're just powerful. You're fighting stuff, and then. They just give you for a few minutes. It's you have no power and you have no idea what's going on, and you really are questioning your sanity. You have no idea what's going on. That is, that for me, captures the I think the feeling. So many games that really want to say they're Lovecraft games want to evoke, and I just say just to challenge Evan's choice. Like Bloodborne is great in terms of the tone and the themes and the aesthetics, but you're still running around with a sword and a gun beating stuff up. It's still power fantasy. Oh, yeah. Which is very un-Lovecraftian at the end of the day. This just one chunk of Metal Gear Solid 2, you really do feel powerless. And that is... And you, you feel like you're up against this this horrible, unknown alien conspiracy. And just, just going beyond that really briefly, when you start to... At the very, at very end of the game, after this, when you start to learn, like, what's going on and it's... You, you're starting to understand who the Patriots are. That's court, sort of Lovecraftian too. I just I love the part where um, Ocelot tries to explain, "Oh, this is this was all a test. We're trying to recreate Metal Gear Solid One and Shadow Moses and tra tra train the perfect soldier." And then I forget who, but some representative of the Patriots, the secret evil organization, explains, "No, no, that was all. A, uh, that's all a cover. We lied to Ocelot. It's really about, you know." using this to gather data about how to control humans in general, how to get people to think and behave the way we want to. And again, that very Lovecraftian, like the motives are never what you 
think they are, and it goes to some this deeper conspiracy of beings that you don't understand, and especially at the very end when, oh, are the Patriots alive or dead? What are the Patriots? All, all of that is very Lovecraftian. It's weird, shadowy organization. We don't even know if it's human beings or something else. <laughs> and all of that, to me, just gave me very Lovecraft vibes. And then I'd argue in subsequent games, they kind of botch it, and it gets bad in a lot of ways, in my opinion. But to me, that is more Lovecraft feeling than anything else I've ever played. I have never played another game that captured the feeling of being a Lovecraft character just briefly more than that. So that's my argument. Well, Steve, you know, why have just a portion of the game when you can experience that the whole time? And my choice is Silent Hill, the original Silent Hill. Uh, So Silent Hill is a game where you're a dude driving and then you just end up in a foggy town. And it turns out that, you know, this town is not foggy and it's not snowing but it's ashes and smoke and debris from a fire that's been burning for decades um it's actually based on a real story but a real town and a real town and the terrifying thing about silent hill is for the most part like you almost don't have to fight anything there's like a couple of bosses that you absolutely have to fight but for the rest of the game, it's almost like you're motivated not to engage in combat with things. Like, ammo is extremely limited. Weapons are hard to find, if you can find them at all. Um, certain weapons, like certain guns and stuff like that, like, they're just not straight up given to you. They're, like, out of the way. Um, something that I guess you can find if needed, but certainly not something that's given to the player on their path. Um, but beyond that, you know, just the setting of the game it's really the town that's at, you know out to get the player and the town can manifest all these different things uh to fuck with the player and to fuck with the character namely um but there are still people in this town and it's always a question as to whether they're still alive or dead or how they got to the town or how long they've been there you know or anything like that but at least in the first game um you know, you have the main character, Henry, and then you have the cop, and they're both kind of, like, in Silent Hill as of recently. Um, I think it's because of a car crash or a car accident at the beginning. And what he ends up going through and finding out is his daughter is connected to this, like, girl who was branded a witch and, like, a demon child and killed. And there's this thing like Samael or Samuel that's like this archdemon that is kind of like has a vested interest in the girl in the town. And so the act of these people like killing this girl, I guess before they had just reason to kind of condemned them as well. So this, this whole town is just a bunch of citizens that kind of turned witch hunter and then their actions kind of unleashed the wrath of a demon uh, and put the town in its own bubble in space-time uh, that you can't really get to the town if you want to get there. It's kind of like you stumble into it, and it doesn't always spit you back out. So it's like a Twilight Zone of sorts. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, by the end of the first game, um, you know, you're, you like, 
you go through and, you know, at the end of the game, you leave Silent Hill with, like, an infant child of your daughter. Um, so, like, not the, not the, like, little girl of, like, six or seven that you were looking for. It's a very strange, upsetting place. There's flesh walls and floors made of chain link fences. And rust. Yeah, and rust. Lots of rust. Lots of rust. So that's my cho- <laughs> that's my choice, and uh, I'm prepared to say that it's more Lovecrafty than any of yours. Uh, I will go back and defend uh, against Steve's comment when he says uh, Bloodborne is a power fantasy where you're you know unstoppable. Uh, no, the hunter is a very frail and weak character that will go down after a few hits. There there is no invincibility in that game. Uh, the only way to survive is to fight for your life and to get good. Because <laughs> if you don't, you will die and not progress. Right, but but that's my but that's my point. Yeah. You 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 if you play if you get into the game, you do get really good at oh, yes. it, and for then sure. you, and then you you wreck everything. I've seen enough speed runs. I, I, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen enough speed runs in Let's Plays with people who just trivialize yeah. the combat and make me feel bad for how <laughs> how badly. I, I was at the game. So, I mean, at, a, at its core, it is still power fantasy in the sense that yeah. you are you do overcome your foes with violence. As True. opposed yeah. to... Outwitting them. Yeah, as opposed to that one chunk of Metal Gear Solid 2 or or John's choice, which is which is also a, a good choice, definitely. Yeah. At least in terms of the, the, the vibes, the... But, it, but again, I'd, I'd say Silent Hill is still... It's still very, very human in terms of what you're up against. Like, even if there's weird monsters in evil forces it's still you can understand it's human beings who did bad human being stuff and that's kind of where you silent hill comes from or in some to, to some extent i was gonna say in t- some cases it's a uh, shiba inu and kind of like a willy wonka room controlling everything yeah um and yeah maybe that's my next point is the most lovecraftian part of it is silent hill don't give a fuck and it will break its own continuity it will um create these outlandish cutscenes and endings of the game because it's famous for having multiple endings to the game but yeah one of them is the main character walks into a room and there's just a dog at a control panel pulling levers and it just turns to him and he's like why it was you no why would you do this to me and it's like bark bark yeah just turns out it's a regular old dog <laughs> i mean yeah it's it's yeah it's it's certainly weird it's <laughs> It's bizarre. Um, it's still, I, 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 you know, I still don't get the the full Lovecraft vibe from it. I actually, I actually have one one more kind of runner up choice choice for me if if I can if I Please. can throw, throw that out there. Another thing I I was thinking of is the original original Mass Effect, and the mm-hmm. and the Reapers, and just in terms of a. Lovecraftian villain, at least less the the vibe because Mass Effect is still at its core. It's more straight sci-fi, still the power fantasy element. You shoot robots and aliens and stuff, but the villain, at least in the first Mass Effect, is very Lovecraft. Just that you find out that there are these Reapers, these basically sentient spaceships who every you know every few eons just turn up in the Milky Way and destroy all advanced life and then just leave and do it over and over again 
and just the idea that we have no idea why they do why they do this. They don't seem to care about this life. They have no desire to learn about these civilizations. They have they have no desire to explain their actions when you get to talk to one. It's a, it's a great scene when like the, the big twist when you finally find out what it is you're fighting and what you're chasing. When they just say you you uh, sovereign the the main reaper villain just says you you have no way of comprehending why we do this. You can't begin to understand what we are or why we do this. That's that's Lovecraft. I remember that monologue he has, like, you know, you pathetic fleshling, you know, you fumble, like, clumsily, you know, trying to reach our minds, you know, just very advanced alien stuff that something would speak down to you like that. Yeah, it, yeah, just that, that I, rem- I remember that, and that yeah. is great. That whole exchange is, is totally Lovecraftian. And, of course, again, like my whole thing with Metal Gear, the, the subsequent games just completely botch it, and by the end, the Reapers are... Like they're like a secondary villain by the by the third game, and they're just goofy and weird, and their motives are, well, they're still not understandable because they're stupid, yeah. but they are explainable in the sense that we're given an explana- explanation for their motives. I think so. Even it completely, me- it's completely yeah. botched, but the, the the first game before two and three ruined it really was yeah. gave us a Lovecraft villain. Where they were that kind of unknowable horror in space. Yeah, I think even a third one, you get to like meet their creator or like the last of the species that made them. I think in the in some of the DLC, yeah, that uh, happens. Yeah, like like it, squid, giant squid. Yeah, you go like deep to like the darkest depths of like some ocean on some alien planet, and down there is like some leviathan esque massive creature that is basically just like a giant like squid that speaks to you psychically. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know it's one of the DLCs, and I didn't get because it's it, it came out I think after yeah probably after the, game, the game, and I and I was just and I was just completely yeah. done done with it. But yeah, I know there was a DLC where you get to meet the things, and yeah, and just that for me ruined it. Like yeah. they gave us a great Lovecraft villain, like it just we we don't know what these things are. They they are completely alien to us. We can't comprehend yeah. why they do what they do. We just know they want to kill us. And then it becomes, oh, they, they, yeah. they kill us because they don't want robots to kill us, which is absurd. It's kind of strange, and I guess kind of important for a Lovecraftian subject is the less the audience knows, the better. Yeah. Because the main thing about like Lovecraftian horror is the unknown. Like what Steve said, even though he wouldn't think Metal Gear 2 was Lovecraftian game, it's that very idea and kind of feeling of true insignificance terror where like everything you know is now gone and you're literally just naked and afraid against the unknown right right and in the and again that hammers home the the point about it's it's also very lovecraftian when they explain no this isn't about like training another solid snake this is about population control yeah. in my Lay- in mind control like the, yeah because it because again they're t- the the whole game it's building you up you're the next solid snake you're badass and then they tell you no we don't we don't care how tough of a soldier you are you are insignificant why do we want another solid snake solid snake he's a he's a cool He's a cool guy. He's a tough. He's a tough soldier. But in in but we are so far beyond that. One super soldier can't it can't do anything to affect our plans. You are truly meaningless. You don't matter. This isn't about you. That is that is Lovecraft. Well said. Well said, gentlemen. Uh, that takes us to our second argument, which is the same argument but for movies so what is a favorite movie slash televised series (laughs) so uh same rules 
we will defend with our lives, our choices. And um, I'll start this time. And my choice is True Detective. Excellent choice. Yes, the HBO televised series. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm assuming you specifically mean season, season one. Yes. Yep, not the crappy seasons. So True Detective is not outwardly Lovecraft um, or even outwardly Supernatural. It is kind of on its surface, uh, like cop detective drama, um, but it has like these weird underlying themes of like cults and like secret groups and magic and dirty, dirty stuff. Um, it stars Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, and they're basically just two detectives who are investigating a murder that has these really creepy culty vibes to it like somebody who's tied up and has like deer antlers um attached to their head not like growing out of their head but tied to their head uh and like weird symbols and stuff like that and then the rabbit hole that it goes down uh like leads to connections with the church and leads to connections with the government and like cover-ups and conspiracies and you find out that like people are being protected for like these things you know, that they did that, like, you know, you never really find out the exact thing. Um, and then, like, eventually, like, this this tape comes up that they find is, like, a key piece of evidence, like, towards the end of the first season. And it's about, like, this, this little girl who went missing. And, like, they kind of, like, antagonize all these people who they're, like, pretty ki- convinced were involved and, like, show them the video. And, like, the viewer never sees what's on the video, but they're always just like, oh, God, please, no, make it stop. Oh, I'm going to be sick. Oh, God, help. And, like, it's kind of inferred that there's some pretty gnarly shit happening on that video. Not not even in pleasant enough company to speculate on microphone what that stuff is. But needless to say, basically the story starts leading towards this group but namely like one person uh who's kind of the ringleader of the group who i mean the best way that i can describe him is like on the surface it seems like he has like a multiple personality disorder and also some some kind of disassociative disorder but there's like some implications that he's this spirit or being or entity that has like many lives and is like feeding on like killing children and and weird other stuff and like he's one away like one more death away from ascension like all that sort of stuff but but yeah it's it's really dark it's really creepy there are lots of moments throughout the series where there's a question as to whether there is actually anything supernatural happening or not. And I think that's probably, like, the biggest piece that makes it so Lovecraftian is it's always a question of, like, is this person, like, crazy? Like, did they actually see this or didn't they? The detectives, specifically one of them, they aren't sleeping. You know, there's there's times where he's, like, just pissed drunk um, on drugs, on pills, hallucinating. So... It's it's tough, but there's also a lot of pointing towards some otherworldly stuff happening. And of course, to top it all off, 
the entire like this season is told from like 25 years later and the two detectives are giving these details to two other detectives who were asking and, you know one of them it looks like he's kind of still got his stuff together Woody Harrelson but the other is like ragged and dirty and his hair is super long and he's gaunt and he he works like three nights a week at a bar and then like he sleeps in the back of the bar and he's just drinking all day when he's not working to keep the memories away so yeah that's that paints a picture of uh your standard protagonist in a lovecraft story yeah the 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 First of all, I got to say, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey are absolutely phenomenal in that series. Like, two actors who I never really took seriously before that show, but both of them were were just, were were amazing. Like, I have so much more respect for both of those guys as actors after seeing that movie. And yet, the the McConaughey transformation is is so great. And yet, it's the... It's the the whole Lovecraftian thing. The closer you get to the truth, the more it's going to destroy destroy you mentally and and physically. Yeah, it, yeah. All all of that is great. I I think you you the uh, the the one thing you leave out is th- there are there there are so many like little hints um to to the, like the Lovecraftian roots of the series, like just little little nods to people who are really into the fiction. Right there's references to. Carcosa and the King in Yellow. These yeah, are all things yeah. that are either Lovecraftian or related to people who write within that that genre. So there are those little hints that yeah. there is that there are direct ties to Lovecraft stuff in there. But yeah, all of that is just amazing. Um, the thing that always stands out to me is McConaughey's monologue from I think the first episode where he talks about how how he thinks human beings were just in, in, were, were an accident of evolution that we achieved consciousness and we shouldn't. And it's just an abomination of nature and we should just allow ourselves to go extinct because human existence is just this flawed thing and meaningless. And that is just horribly dark and nihilistic and Lovecraftian. Again, the idea that just the universe doesn't care for us. We could cease to exist and it wouldn't matter. Yeah, yeah. No, that that show, and I recently watched it again. It's a shame that the second and the third seasons don't quite hit what the first season did. But boy, I mean, that first season's good enough for two or three bad seasons after. Right. I I, I have rewatched. I'm like you. I I rewatch it once in a while, and I think I've rewatched it more times than there are actual seasons. Yeah. Of the show, and every time you can. You can pick up, pick up something more. something new. There's some new little twist or element that you didn't see before. I, I think the last time I watched through it again, I was really focused on Woody Harrelson's daughters and their brief moments on screen. And you really do get the sense that there's something going on there. I think I, I know I went back and looked at what people were writing on message boards and stuff. And I know there were a lot of theories about how they thought his daughters were going to factor into the story more and like maybe they're, they've been victims of this weird cult or something. And then nothing, nothing came of that, but there's enough there that you're wondering, like, did something happen to like one of these kids? I kind of got weird vibes. Like, cause, cause the last time I watched it was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. That's where I saw it for the first time. Yeah. And like, yeah, there's definitely like these weird connections that you can draw between Woody Harrelson's character and like the way that he acts out, and like the way that he explains it to himself. Yeah, well, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's an in, he's an interesting character, and that's the other thing. I mean, this isn't 
getting away from the Lovecraft vibes, but just this is an interesting from a psychological perspective. Yeah. It's so much of the story beyond the 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 horror and the weird elements. So much of it is just is just about abusive men and yeah. and men who who need to have have control over the women in their lives, and that's Woody Harrelson's character. And it's funny they present Woody Harrelson and he he presents himself the character as the more stable of the two characters. McConaughey is just this drunk and drug addict and he's just completely messed up and Woody Harrelson presents himself as the as the the nice, crisp, clean, suit-wearing family man, but you see he's he has such deep deep-rooted ish, problems ish, issues and especially with with women, the way he needs to control his daughters, the way he needs his wife to just go along with whatever, with whatever stupid shit he's doing, any other young, attractive woman that comes into his life. He, he has such a fucked up relationship with women. It's, I, I think Freud would say it's the, it's the Madonna whore thing, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, he's, he's one of those, those men that's so, so broken. He can only see women as either you know, the Virgin Mary, pure, but they have to be pure and untouched, and then he puts them on a pedestal, but he also needs to control them and protect them, or they're the whore, they're the, they're the slut, they're, they're dirty and unclean, but those are the women he wants, he wants sexually, but then he wants nothing else to do with them. Like, he is such a weird, gross, flawed person. And I also see this weird, almost like, you know, his pursuit of this case in some aspects once he kind of knows what it's about is like his justification for what he does because it's like oh like i'm not as bad as them like i'm catching these people but you know i'm going out and having an affair with this girl who was underage and working at a sex ranch when i found her right yeah Yeah. yeah and so much and and that's why these characters are so great together because yeah. McConaughey's character is the is the ultimate like tear down all the false illusions about the world, tear down all these masks you put on yourself, and just see the world for what it is. And he's the guy that's constantly holding up to mirror, um, holding up a mirror to Harrelson and saying, "No, look at who you are. You do these nice things as a cop. But that's not who you are. Who you are." is the person you are to your wife and your kids and the other people you encounter, the stuff you do as a job, that's not you. And yeah. And, and that's why there's always this con, this conflict between them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good show. It's, it, it is, it's, it's a it's deep so, show. It's so friggin' good. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely, yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about it. I'm actually annoyed that you got to have the, have this for your, for your pick. <laughs> Well, well, uh, then that'll just be make it uh, more difficult for you guys to fight. We're going to go with Evan for Evan's pick. All right. For my movie, I pick something we saw. Well, <laughs> I pick something we saw while we we're on that road trip to Rochester, and that is The Void. The Void. 2016 Canadian horror film. Uh, it was funded in traditional ways. However, a funny thing about this movie is that its creature special effects um, was crowdfunded on Indiegogo and it reached around eighty-two thousand dollars. Wait, this is this is interesting. I didn't know about this. So, it, so like there was a studio funding the movie itself. Yes, I I'm actually quite unsure what studio it is, but I do know enough to say that I can say confidently uh, this film was mostly funded by traditional means. Wait, but then just specifically for like the effects in yes, the monsters, they, they, they said, hey, give us money to make the creatures better? Yes. 
That's so and, wild. And they were better. Um, the <laughs> And so it was. And so it was. The traditional special effects in that movie were very good when it came to kind of the monster design and kind of special features that came with the monster, you know, like mucusy, bloody grossness, and even the... Uh, you know, the bloody splatter effects that would happen when someone got killed in the film. Uh, you know, it was very uh, Jack's, Peter Jackson-esque, we'll say, like earlier in his career when he made like Dead Alive and maybe some other, you know, grind, grindhouse horror stuff where people were really kind of experimenting with like horror, uh, gore-like uh, special effects. But um, yeah, this was relatively, relatively uh, like an indie film. But it was it was still very good, which I know doesn't say much. I'll just give you a brief synopsis. Uh, it opens up with a man escaping from a derelict barn. Uh, someone follows him, isn't so lucky, gets shot and lit on fire. Uh, this person then gets rushed to a hospital by a cop who finds him. The hospital is in a state of disrepair because it recently had uh, a fire. It's a, running by a skeleton crew. There's some other people there. Uh, people start to go crazy in the hospital and start killing each other. Uh, they try to escape the hospital. It's surrounded by, like, cultists in white robes with, like, torches and knives. Um, and if you try to leave, they'll just murder you. Just kill you on the spot? Yeah, they'll just, like, Nazgul, just stab you to death. Um, and then there's, like, a weird connection to, like, the farmhouse, the, the barn in the hospital underground, like, roots like a mad doctor who's been experimenting with some weird shit. Uh, the dead are coming back to life in like weird, like conjoined flesh monsters, like something out of the color out of space or uh, the thing. And uh, by the end, it turns out that like the lead doctor of the hospital or something is this like arch cultist who's doing like some like profane blood ritual to, you know, open up the portal to our dimension and some other dimension that just has kind of like black floating pyramids, I think. Um, but I'm sure he it was something to do with getting like, you know, phenomenal cosmic power, immortality or something like that. Something something nebulous but horrible that you need to stop. And uh, yeah, and uh, it has a very up in the air ending, we'll say, because it, it you're kind of unsure whether the main character wins or not. Like they're the last one standing. But, you know, they're not exactly in the best of spots. Sure. The Void. Uh, it's a film that made you uncomfortable. Made me uncomfortable. That's all I'll say about it. Steve, <laughs> uh, go ahead. Uh, so, so for my choice, I'm going with the movie came out a few years ago. Really underrated movie, in my opinion. Did not get a lot of attention when it came out. I think... At least in Europe, I think it went straight to Netflix. Um, it like didn't even get a theatrical release. The movie Annihilation. Yes. We saw that somewhat recently. Yes, yeah, Annihilation this month for the first time. What did you think of it? I liked Annihilation. It, I mean, every pretty much every night when I get onto Discord, uh, when I jump into the chat room, I go... Burr, dur, dur, dur. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can just play the sound after this and we'll know what we're talking about from the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I... So if for if you, for anybody who who hasn't seen it, the the basics is meteor from outer space crashes somewhere in Florida, and then this weird shimmery bubble starts to grow out of an expand expand and envelop the area, and T 
team of scientists, it's scientists and researchers and, you know, uh, and with some combat training are sent into this thing because we try to send like probes in and, uh, drones and stuff and they don't come out again. So we have to send people in on the ground to go through this shimmering bubble and figure out what's going on. And then the whole story is just them figuring out what's going on in this bubble. Where did this meteor come from? What is, what is it about? And there's more, there's more going on there. You find out there was another team who went in before and bad stuff happened to them. And Oscar so Isaac on. was there. Oscar, Oscar Isaac was there. He went nuts. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's all about that in just, don't need to go into all the details. Just say it's, it's, it's creepy and also weirdly, hauntingly beautiful. Like it just within everything that goes on within this bubble, there's just everything has a weird lighting to it. And what you find out is like DNA within this bubble is being split and recombined in different ways. So you get these weird creatures. Some of them are horrifying. Some of them are weirdly beautiful. You see deer with like flowers growing out of their antlers and stuff. And it's, plants growing the shape of people because of their like the like the hawk gene or hawk's gene or whatever. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think one of the characters described it as the place almost acted as like a prism for right. matter for like DNA. So things just just get refracted weirdly and become different. Right. And yeah, the, the, I mean, the science doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. It's bordering on just on space Absurdity. magic. It's yeah. just it. The, the premise is a little bit silly. Like I, I it's one of those things I I know it's not true, but I don't know enough about DNA to refute it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain that these things don't work like this. But it's still a as a fan from a fantasy perspective. It's a cool premise and it creates these these cool things. And just the, the Lovecraftian element is what what you it seems that the movie is hinting at is that. All of this is meaningless. This isn't some attack by an alien intelligence. There, there, no one, there's no alien being that's trying to do this. It's just this weird thing that's happening. Just this weird thing crashes into Earth, and this is what it starts doing. And it starts changing the the planet, and there's there's no reason for it. It just it, it just happens, and we're left one wondering like, is it going to expand, or is this is this going is it going to repeat itself? What is and it just speaks to how alien and terrifying the universe is. So it's it, like like some of my other picks. It's not Lovecrafting in the sense that the monsters aren't or anything, but it still gives the Lovecraft vibes of it makes you feel very small and insignificant and scared in a strange alien universe. And so just as a Lovecraft story, very Lovecraft heavy vibes. It's all great and just as a story in general, it's. Absolutely amazing. The effects are great. The visuals are great. Beyond the Lovecraft stuff, just the theme, the themes of I, I, I'd argue like the big theme of this, the whole movie is death. It's all about about death and dying and grief. There, there are a couple characters that reference cancer um, and having cancer throughout the story. I, I have this theory that each of the each of the the main characters that goes into this this shimmer, each one represents a different stage in those traditional stages of grieving, uh, anger, denial, acceptance and so on it's so absolutely amazing movie and did not get nearly enough credit when it came out i, I don't think i'm and, and by the way just as, as a side note i don't think i'm the first one to say this i think to say this i think the red layer media guys pointed this out but at a time when people are talking about how we want to see more female driven movies and stories portraying women in strong roles and women in stem fields this is a story that all the char- all the main characters are women, and they're all strong female characters. They're all either scientists or doctors 
or soldiers or whatever, and it got no attention. I, I think all yeah. the all the people that really care, apparently all the people that care about these things um, were busy arguing about the the remake of Ghostbusters. They were too busy talking <laughs> about that to notice that Annihilation came out, and it was a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing in Annihilation that really stuck with me that kind of gave me that vibe was like right at the climax of the film when she's kind of confronted by you know that alien construction that, that, that still that still gives me me chills the, right. the weird shining thing well that's yeah. the thing it 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 looks like nothing that should Exist. be bipedal and it moves so smoothly and creepily but i think the scariest thing for me was she's confronted with this this entity and it doesn't try to attack her or explain itself or do anything it just kind of like stands there but if she tries to leave it stops her and then if she keeps trying to leave it like forcibly stops her and like grabs her and like brings her over and like moves her you know like kind of like is trying to just keep her in place and it's so bizarre well i mean that i think that's it's left a little bit ambiguous but i i wondered is it trying to stop her or is it just it seems like it's just mimicking her movements like she goes to the door it goes to the door and ends up pinning her, but that's kind of a byproduct. It, again, it's not even like this thing has its own intelligence or will. It really is just responding to her behavior, her movements. She tries to leave, it tries to to follow, and they end up getting end up getting pinned. Mm-hmm. So it's not even it stops her, but it's not trying to stop her. It doesn't. It's not thinking yeah. in those terms. And then it attacks her, but it she hit it first, and then it kind of parrots the movement it's like you get the sense it doesn't know what it's doing yeah prior to the monster's appearance like the last expedition member kind of diffuses into dna dust and then becomes a singularity that the monster crawls out of or the thing is like birth from yeah, it's like crazy, like so. So yeah, and so audio. Just to wondering it. your take on that. I, so that I, that I can't, I can't even begin to explain like what that is supposed to mean. I, I, I told you I have my whole thing about. I think all the characters represent a stage of grief. I think the 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 character who disintegrates, I think, represents um, depression. I think she's the one that's the most despairing of all the characters, and this is her like final despair, just giving herself up to this thing and just. And and just saying I can't take it anymore. Just just fuck it. Ah, but yeah, it, it's yeah. I, I, it's like she provides the bit, the raw materials, the fuel to create this new thing. So she's sort of like reborn, but into a new being. Well, yeah. So that leads me to my next point, which is, and then at the end of the film, you see that, or there's the implication that some of it is still in, you know, part of her. Right. But then there's. There's also this video that you see where it shows her spouse, Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac, who was there and he's like lighting himself on fire. Right. Right. And yeah, yeah, it's, but it's the, it's, 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 it's again, it's entirely ambiguous. Like the story kicks off. Yeah. Oscar Isaacs, the, the, the main character's husband go is a soldier. He goes on this mission. He disappears. He doesn't come back. And she thinks he's just dead and gone. A, yeah, a year but, later. But then, yeah, later, all of a sudden, he just shows up at her house and he's acting 
strange and you know it's what the hell is going on and then he and then you know, the mil- you know police and military crash through the door they grab him they grab her and oh he wasn't supposed to get away what happened what what happened where was he and that's what kicks off the plot and so it's and it's her going into this agreeing to go into this this shimmer thing to find out what happened to him like why why is he like this what happened to his his team that went into this thing before her and yeah at the very end it she finally finds like the 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 where the meteor crashed and like finds this vi- a camera set up in this video footage and you see two Oscar Isaacs talking to like one talking to the other and one's telling the other like you know go you know find you know find her like meaning uh, his wife and then he like pops a like phosphorus grenade and and lights himself on fire and yeah you're left wondering okay which one of them which one of them killed themselves was it the was it the original man or was it a copy that was made by recombining dna within this thing which one is it and there's the question does it matter um like is he is he the he ha- seems to have the same memories but he doesn't but is he the the, the same being and, and we're left and i i know some people have have proposed the theory that she also that, is that's a what copy. i was actually going to propose yeah yeah so yeah, yeah we're, we're left very unsure are either of them the original person that went into this thing or are both of them copies and again does it does it matter are they they're they're they, the dna is apparently the same they have the the same memories the same consciousness and yeah, it raises all kinds of weird, disturbing philosophical questions, questions yeah. about about life, about life and consciousness, and what does it mean to be a a person. All of that is just so spooky and scary and terrifying. Yes, yes, well said. Yeah, well definitely said. some soma vibes from that. Yeah, um... I also want to say that um, I know you don't agree with it, but to me. Uh, Annihilation, it definitely feels like a, a different take or adapt, adaptation of uh, the Colorado of space in just the themes of some weird thing comes from outer space and changes the world around it, and now people have to deal with that. I mean, <laughs> I think that, you know, there's certainly both a meteor feature that falls from space, uh, but, like, I don't know. I feel like the color out of space was more about the people, whereas this was more about the, the environment. environment. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. It's just I'm not saying it's the same film. I'm just saying it's in a similar vein of uh, color out of space esque mm-hmm. uh, storytelling. I, I think I think it's fair, at least in the in the in the sense that again, in in the the sense that this thing out of space is completely alien to us. Yeah, the, cannot the be way, understood. The, yeah, the way it. I mean, the way it's described in. In the Lovecraft stories, it's like a color that we 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 our brains can't be wrap wrap around it because yeah. it's we never seen it before. It just and, drives us mad. And in Annihilation, it's it's other stuff going on, but in both cases, it's we can't truly understand what this thing is, and it's yeah. we're just trying to do our best to understand it on our terms. Exactly. So, uh, I guess we got to choose a movie and a game. Or a movie slash TV show and a game. Gentlemen. Hmm. Well, I think my my favorite movie or the movie I would vote for is definitely Annihilation. Because I, I, I saw that recently. Really liked it. 
Uh, True Detective was great. Watched that recently, but uh, in terms of like Lovecraftian horror, alien, the unknown, the weirdness, uh, definitely I would I would have to say, in, in terms of uh, traditional hallmarks of Lovecraftian, it would be Annihilation. See, I'm I'm going with I'm going with your your choice, John, and going with uh, with True Detective. I, that is still. I, I I'm I'm mad you got to got to make that that pick. That is still one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And yeah, I I loved Annihilation. I still ma- maintain it's a it's a great movie and Lovecraft vibes. But yeah, if we're talking just good, what, uh, what would I want to watch again and again? It's easily True Detective. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't vote for myself. Uh, so we'll just say both. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, so both True Detective, if you want a nice TV show, and Annihilation, if you want a feature-length film. Now, the game. We can't vote for ourselves. Says who? I think that's fair. Okay. Um. In in that case, I I gotta go. In that case, I gotta go with Bloodborne. Um, I'm also gonna go with Bloodborne. Uh, okay. And I, and I have to say, I'm saying this as someone who did not really enjoy the gameplay. It's not it's not my kind of game. I I could not finish it. I'm just maybe it's because I'm too old and I'm not good at video games anymore. <laughs> like I can't I can't friggin' beat it. I got stuck at the giant, the, the the giant blob monster with like six legs that that kicks you while a bunch of his buddies throw fireballs at you. I could not get past that. So the gameplay is really not for me, but. Yeah, I from having read about the lore and watched like YouTube videos on it, it is it is very much a cool Lovecraft story. Yeah, I think the thing that seals the deal for me with that is you know, kind of like was mentioned, the game starts as like, oh, I'm a, I'm going to go stop the werewolves and I'm joining the werewolf hunt. That's yeah, like what this game's about. Victorian gothic horror, we'll say. Yeah, and then you know, you get through like 30% of the game or so and you just stumble into cosmic entities and cosmic horror and uh the only way you know that you have you could have any idea that all this stuff is happening before is if you kind of either knew and had the hindsight um or by accident kept increasing your insight which is basically an insanity stat in the game uh, and then once it reaches a certain threshold, you can actually see those entities kind of like hovering about, you know, in the skybox and stuff like that. Something else that makes Bloodborne such a Lovecraft Lovecraftian game is the fact that three different endings, the endings arguably, in terms of what happens to your character, get worse the more you do, the more you accomplish. Like it completely breaks with the standard video game thing, you know, you do all the bonus content, you do all the extra stuff, you find all the extra information, you get the better ending, the true ending. Here, the true ending, if you do all the extra extra exploration, you learn all the secrets, you fight the extra bosses. Eat the umbilical cords. Yeah, things get, things get worse for you. The best ending is if you do the bare minimum and then take yourself out of the the nightmare and just and just go home and just very Lovecrafty and the the idea that your reward for trying to explore more and learn more about these horrible secrets, your reward is madness. Ba- madness. Things are yeah. going to go badly for to you. To be the, reborn as a slug. Yes, yes. 
that's being groped by a doll. It's all a very living weird. doll. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we know what Germain did with that doll. <laughs> she has other uses. <laughs> Mind the dot dot dot. Yep. I'll, I'll just say say two more things. I think something that's that that as we're talking about different stuff, I think something that's been hammered home for me is the stuff that's really good at nailing this vibe are the things that start off with a little bit of misdirection. Like, I mm-hmm. think the things that we like the best are the ones they pull off the Lovecraft vibe because they, tri- they trick you with it. True Detective, you go in and they present it as police procedural. Yeah. And if you haven't, if you haven't heard anything about it or read anything about it, it takes an ep- like an, a full episode or two before you start to get the sense that there's more going on here. In Bloodborne, same thing. I, I really, again, I make my case for Metal Gear Solid 2 on the basis that it's one kind of game and then briefly becomes another kind of game. I think the things that do best at this are the ones they have to trick you into. And I think that's why, I, I suspect that's why none of us brought came in with the Sinking City or any of the other stuff that's explicitly weird making a Lovecraft game. Because I think if you go in expecting that vibe, it's just it's not going to hit you the same way because you're you're ready for it. Yeah, and some of it's just yeah. a bit goofy too. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we're certainly in the wrap up phase of our third annual spooktacular H three Lovecraft. <laughs> but um, you know, to that note, you could even look at something like Control. And say that those mm. elements are there because yeah. unless you've ex- kind of exclusively looked into how that game goes and you're just kind of going off of the basic premise of kind of like agency, psychic powers, okay, a little bit of that, um, you know, but then you go deeper and it's like there's like parallel realities and possessed objects, possessed objects and all sorts of real extra planar entities. Yeah, all sorts of real big level Norse mythology. Norse, yeah, and you're talking to like disembodied voices who are calling you on telephones, who are like the previous directors of the agency, like giving you advice. Yeah, like the voice of the dead beyond the grave or whatever. Yeah. So and, and like I still haven't fully completed Control, but um, you know that could be a little bonus thing for the listeners to to pick up and play. And play along with the dork web this Halloween. Well, I think that's that's as much as we're gonna get out of this Halloween special, H three Lovecraft, um, the Spooktacular, the third Spooktacular. Uh, so without further ado, I think that this will actually bring our episode to a close. I'd love to thank Mr. Steve, uh, Mr. Steve Michaels from the Social Science Fiction Podcast. Steve, do you want to say goodbye to the lovely listeners? Yes, thank you very much. Happy Halloween to everybody. Thank you for having me on the show. If you're at all interested in anything I had to say, don't know why you would be, but if you are, (laughs) please consider checking out the Social Science Fiction Podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff, Social Science Fiction Show. Thank you very much. No problem, Steve. Always a pleasure. Happy uh, to get some extra podcasters on and, you know, maybe for the fourth annual Spooktacular, we can even have four podcasters together in a room. Well, you're going to have to come up with a new Halloween pun for four. We, we will. We will. We, we had, the last year it was um, the Spooktacular number two, Nosferatu. 
<laughs> so we're, we're on it. Don't worry. We've, we've got this in the bag. Spectacular uh, four, shut the door. But what's what's the reference? What's I the, I think we I think you can do better. That I, I think you can do better. We can yeah. do better. <laughs> uh, so that being said, uh, this will bring episode forty to a close. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you of course can reach out to us directly through our website, thedorkweb.net, uh, or through our email, thedorkwebpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, where we're just known as dorkwebpodcast, uh, as well as Twitter. We're also known as The Dork Web, and Facebook, where we're known as The Dork Web. Other than that, I specifically, Jonathan Locchiato, write for CBR, and if you would like to hear more about what I have to say about video games and other fun nerd stuff, you can find me writing on CBR. Other than that, friends, folks, and listeners, I thank you so much for joining us for another spooktacular. These truly are the best episodes every year, and I can't wait to do one again in another year. But I think the scariest thing for me was like she's confronted or confronted.